Welcome to Neighbor to Neighbor, a podcast focused on highlighting extraordinary individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ, a not-for-profit cooperative credit union based in Bellingham, Washington. Middle school is a really hard time for kids. Not only are you transitioning from being a child to a young adult, you're also pumped full of hormones. To really help kids who are struggling, it often takes a lot of time and one-on-one attention that school districts simply don't have. That's where Communities in Schools comes in. My name is Keith Mater, and on this episode of Neighbor to Neighbor, I speak with Ario Salazar, the Executive Director for Communities in Schools of Whatcom and Skagit Counties. Ario, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Let's start at the top. What is Communities in Schools? Communities in Schools of Whatcom and Skagit County is a nonprofit organization. We um, partner with uh, school districts uh, and with specific uh, school sites across uh, Mount Vernon, Bellingham, Ferndale, and Blaine. Uh, We are present in eight different schools uh, at this uh, moment. And our mission and vision is to surround students with a community of supports and uh, resources uh, so that they can succeed in the classroom and beyond. So basically succeed in school and in life. So I know that one big thing that you do as you help kids be successful by meeting them where they're at. Can you talk more about that? Yes, of course. Um, I, I guess that, you know, what we have um, contributed, you know, in all of these partnerships is this deep sense that um, sometimes uh, students, what they need in order to be connected to their education is a bonding factor, right, to that school. And the essential bonding factor to that, you know, to their school and their education is a caring adult. Um, and sometimes that caring adult, clearly, you know, it can be a principal, it can be a teacher, it could be a counselor. Uh, and in some instances, you know, our site coordinator, that person who is part of the communities and schools team, is that bonding factor. We also speak of, you know. Uh, community and school protective factors, right? Um, there's community and school risks. And so we also brand ourselves, you know, in our strategies and in our ways to connect with students as a protective factor, right? Like somebody who's going to help you envision how to solve different challenges, how to navigate uh, different situations uh, at all di- different levels, right? A lot of students um, definitely need some guidance, you know, and orientation uh, in um, on issues or themes like relationships, right? Like friendships, uh, how to navigate, you know, my the, the, all the different competing demands that uh, their education, their teachers, you know, their social uh, peers, your peer relationships, you know, may impose on them. And so I think that having a, somebody who is looking at you in a non-judgmental way, in a way that... Um, models right like my equanimity of mind is called right like looking at things you know for really what they are and then really realizing you know after analysis like what that may mean and if you want to change a particular situation or dynamic how that may pan out um in a way again right that is non-judgmental there is not preachy and then uh, in a way that is also um uh i guess of interest to the student 
right? We speak to the interest of each and every student. Every student cares deeply about something. Um, and so our job sometimes is to find out, you know, what is it that makes them tick? And it is uh, finding that asset and scaling that asset up that makes students flourish. So what you provide, is this not available through teachers or through counselors that are already at schools? Why is what you do kind of needed additionally? Mm -hmm. Great question. Yeah, the reason that we provide what we provide and the reason that there's such a huge need is that um, uh, schools, you know, um, they have limited capacity. And so we come in, right, and we want, we are supportive of their efforts and their goals and their plans, right? Um, I guess I should clearly, you know, state that communities and schools, right? Like we are in the business of supporting our public school system, right? Like we believe that like any other public institution, it needs support, right? It needs uh, help. It can be improved, right? So uh, I have deep respect, you know, for people who are engaged in school reform, for example, right? But that's not our wheelhouse. Our wheelhouse, you know, and our philosophy is we have a great public institution that is working well, and we're hoping that we're going to improve uh, by adding our expertise and our services to it. Uh, and that uh, responds to the issue of capacity. The volume of need is so high, right, in each and every school where we are present that, you know, the student support teams, uh, they're overwhelmed, you know, and so... Uh, and with reason, right? Like this is not, uh, it's an issue of capacity. You know, when you have, let's say, two or three counselors for, uh, you know, a school with 750 students, right? Like if you think about 10% of that population, right? Like that already tells you like the scale. And that's like the, you know, perhaps the most um, conservative, you know, number that I can give you. In some schools, it may be 20, maybe 25%. Uh, we have schools, for example, right, or school districts, right, where over 65% of students are not prepared to enter kindergarten, right? And so that just tells you, you know, like the, the large uh, volume and scale of the need. And so as much as each and every school would want to cater, you know, to each and every student, the capacity is not there. And so we as a community partner, right, and as a community support and as a community service step in and collaborate and really help, um, uh, you know, the different school sites figure out how we can be best of help to add to whatever assets they have present, you know, in their system. Yeah. I think in learning more about your organization um, and just knowing how specific the help is for each individual student that you guys work with, I mean, you can't do that on a big scale. Mm -hmm. it's impossible exactly yes yes because you know we get to hear the actual story like the full story right like we get to hear what unfortunately you know uh in you know due to again issues of capacity right like um you know people don't have the time to listen to right like and so sometimes that's you know a lot of unfortunately you know a, a, in a lot of instances when you have a high volume of students with very dire needs, right? Like people are going to mostly be in a mode where you're, you know, trying to quickly, you know, support them and really have them be on their way to their next uh, level or challenge or whatever, right? So in many instances, as I'm 
as a mentor, right? And somebody who's in, trained in mentoring kids at a deeper level, right? We get to hear all, each and every detail and, and it helps, you know, the students. It, that in itself sometimes is very therapeutic, right? Like, uh, as you probably know, right? Like in uh, mental health and, and especially in counseling, what makes, you know, anyone have progress, right? In their healing or in building their resiliency or in getting back on track, you know, with their goals is the connection they have uh, with their counselor or with their mental health uh, provider, right? Is that that bonding is the most therapeutic part of the healing process. And so sometimes we provide that by really devoting time listening sometimes you know sometimes students take their time to stagger right due to stigma or due to the challenging issues that they're dealing with so it takes time so building a, a, a deeply trusting relationship right where we're going to lift somebody you know or help them elicit that resilience they carry within uh, takes time and that is really perhaps the, the biggest uh, contribution to the set of services and supports that schools already have in place, right? Is that then we can make a more educated referral back, right, to counselors so that, you know, because also we have limitations, right? So we are very respectful of our expertise and our limitations. Counselors also have, you know, a, a, a proper set of, you know, expertise that, can provide, you know, other resources that we're unable to provide. So it really is that team collaboration, right, of having that deeper understanding of the situation of each and every student. I think that that's very unique. Um, what schools are you in locally? Locally in Whatcom County, we are at Shuxon Middle School. We are at Vista Middle School in Ferndale, and we are at Blaine Primary and, uh, and Blaine Elementary in the Blaine School District. Um, and this is due to the fact that Blaine is perhaps the only what the only district that I know of that has divided their elementary experience into two, right? So they have K through second is Blaine Primary, and then third through fifth is Blaine Elementary. So last year we were there, uh, we were uh, working with Blaine Primary, and this year we're setting out to expand services into the elementary side of things uh, as well. How has your organization been impacted from COVID-19? Great question. Um, this pandemic definitely has um, affected um, mostly our supporters, right? So we, um, we rely uh, on a lot of the generosity of local foundations, you know, uh, individual donors, and so on and so forth. And I think that um, when, um, I guess when the announcements, you know, the closures were, um, first made immediately, everyone, right? Like had to go with reason, right. And reprioritize where they, they wanted to provide support to different communities and specifically to children and their families. And so we took a huge, uh, hit, you know, from, uh, what would be a typical, um, uh, I would say, a uh, year of funding, right? So I think that it affected us. Of course, it affected also our, our team, right? Like we had to quickly figure out the logistics, all the logistics of providing what we provide also through the telework 
uh, platform, right? Uh, Telementoring became, you know, a concept, you know, telecase management became a concept for us, doing all the different tiers, right? Uh, the school-wide, the group support and the individual support, figuring all, all of those things out. Why is it so important that people support nonprofits right now? Um, I think that uh, Superintendent uh, Chris Raydahl, right, from OSPI, he, he had a very uh, eloquent, you know, calling on that. Uh, he said that it is very easy right now, you know, to kind of uh, go conservative and, like, try to be, you know, uh, very um, uh, austere, right, in in supporting, you know, different things in your community, uh, organizations, specifically nonprofits, community building organizations, and so on and so forth. And so he basically said, right, this is the moment where we are called to make, you know, the most social investment possible in our education, in our children, in, you know, reaching out to those families who need us the most. And he made this very specific call, you know, to not only the business community, but also to other community partners. And we believe in that. I think that it is really important right now um, to ensure that everyone um, who is more uh, affected by this than others, right? Or, or some of us who are in a more privileged, you know, situation, uh, we have to remember that um, there are still families in our counties, in both Whatcom and Skagit County, right, that don't have an internet connection, you know, that have challenges, you know, have been laid off from work, for example, depending on different industries, right, uh, you know, and are barely surviving, right, on unemployment or any other support that they get right through the, you know, the current systems in place. So there's a lot of struggle, right? Uh, there's a lot of challenges, whether it is somebody who is, you know, from a working class kind of family or somebody who is um, in, a, you know, in a better position. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the pandemic, in a way, not only it exacerbates the inordinate disparities, but also for even for the people who thought that were doing well, right? Like it creates a great deal of strife, you know, and... Uh, difficulties and so I think that we're all in this together you know I think that the, and I think that's one of the mantras right of Wiku right that you know that that is very you know those are really um, true you know words of wisdom that we're all uh, we're all of this uh, we're all we're all in this together um, and um, we definitely have to be very thoughtful about that that this is the time when if you have the opportunity to invest and support uh, in people, you can do that through the vehicles of, you know, amazing nonprofit organizations that have that deep connection with each and every person that they, with whom they work. What's been the most rewarding thing for you being in this position? The most rewarding thing is to see the way that our community partners appreciate the work, the way that people speak about the work that we do, right? And, um, and so that's one level of, you know, pride and satisfaction that we have as an agency. But when we also connect with students and their families and they tell us what it means or what it has meant for them to have been connected, you know, to our uh, services and to our caring, you know, uh, case management and expertise, 
that is perhaps the big when you hear those stories you know um i'll tell you quickly for example um this summer uh, a student sent a note card to one of our site coordinators uh sky she was an americorps member and um, they had exchanged some letters um and so uh, she was basically saying that she uh, had made such a huge you know difference in her life and the lives of her peers this person this student was talking about three other peers and apparently you know they had had a great deal of challenges to navigate with relationships and being a new student seventh grader right in middle school and so she said you know i will deeply miss you i hope that you do well in your next uh you know your next endeavor uh, and i just really want you to know just how much it meant to have you in my life for this one year mm. right um and those are you know i mean there's no evaluation that can capture that no. <laughs> um you know like how grateful and how meaningful these connections become you know for uh the students who um in one way or another end up being connected you know to our site coordinators mm-hmm. i'm just sure i'm sure that there are so many stories just based on the nature of your organization that you guys are just how personal it is to say, you know, the student, like, what do you have going on? And you're able to delve into their life and you're able to understand what they have going on at home. You're you're, you're able to like really dissect um, some of the challenges that they're having and then offer ongoing and consistent and very empathetic help. I mean, I can just imagine that that would be just such a moving thing and that I'm sure that, you know, the longer, because how long have you been in this role? I have been here, uh, I will be here two years in October. I can't, I can't even, I would not be surprised at all if just, you know, as students, you know, get into their high school years mm-hmm. and they get into college and their careers, that they, that you'll start to hear these stories come trickling back in of, um, just students that were like, that was one of the most meaningful mm-hmm. times in my life. And without that person, without that case, I'm sorry, case manager, case manager, yes. without that case manager, I wouldn't have X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can tell you this. So, so I'm a new executive director for communities in schools. Literally, I'm completing my second year with the organization, but I've been doing this for 25 years. Um, so where I worked before in San Francisco, I used to work at an agency called Mission Graduates, and that was the whole, it was similar to communities in schools, but it was more, you know, focused on that idea of college and career readiness from K through 12. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the students that I worked with in elementary school are college graduates now, mm-hmm. and they're, and they are connecting with me by, they find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And they tell me now, right, like so many years later, right, like 12, 15 years later, they're saying to me, you know, what you said to me in fifth grade, you know, meant the world to me. I Mm. never knew that, you know, that somebody would care about me that much. I wanted to tell you that, you know, next month I'm graduating from this and that school. Um, And so it is true, right? Like when you spend a lifetime doing this kind of work, you know that um, the, um, there's no immediate uh, gratification. A lot of the times, right, in many instances, 
Some students, you know, will have made some progress, but they still have a ways to go, right? And you hope that you have given them uh, some uh, materials, you know, some building blocks that yeah. they are taking to the next part of the journey or that you have planted a seed in their mind or in their hearts mm. to let them know that they are cared for, that there's people who will always love them no matter what, that will definitely support them no matter what, and that, you know, uh, they are not broken, right? That their compass may have been broken at a particular time of the journey, mm -hmm. but that, you know, that they have that deep sense and that deep feeling that there's a whole community that stands behind them. And when they feel that, they will remember, they'll remember that and they will remember who told them that. Mm. And that's kind of the stories, you know, that I get, as I was saying, you know, when I hear back from those students, you know, and literally every year since, you know, because I met students, you know, when I was doing that work who were in middle or in high school already. So they, so in the, you know, in the last 12 years, year after year, I always get an email or something from somebody saying, hey, I did it, I graduated, I'm this, I'm that, or, or, you know, I went and, you know, traveled the world and now I'm serving in my community. We've had even some of those stories already, you know, happen in communities in school, right, where mm -hmm. some people, you know, told us, you know, I'm coming back to support the organization because I have been, or I was the recipient of, you know, communities, communities and school services at a different location. And I know what the agency does and means. And so, so definitely, um, I would say this to, I guess, any practitioner, right, of community building and other nonprofit workers. You know, they know that, um, I know that they know what I'm talking about when I say that sometimes that um, feeling, right, of, uh, completion, you know, is delayed, but it feels wonderful when it comes your way after years, you know, when somebody has gone off, right, to do their thing mm -hmm. and they come back and tell you that conversation or that afternoon you spent with me saved my life or, you know, or allowed me to have a different vision and conception of the world. Do you have one of those stories of somebody who had um, reached out to you after that just really stuck out? Like somebody that you remember working with them, and yes. So as I said, from a previous, from a previous, uh, my previous work in San Francisco, there was, there was this one student. Uh, he actually uh, was so angry uh, because he had witnessed the police uh, shoot his grandfather in front of him. He was three or four years old. The, the child was traumatized. Um, when I started working with him, he was in the third grade, um, and he was a big, he was a big boy, you know, like he was very tall. He's tall. Everybody thought that he was older than, than he appeared to be. Um, and one afternoon, uh, I said something to him that upset him a lot and he attacked me. He basically, you know, he physically like jumped at me and he was just blinded by his rage, right? So all I did was, you know, I embraced him and I made him calm down, right? Like I didn't, I didn't use the restraint and kind of like, right? But just kind of like really held him as tight as I could, as I could, because he wasn't hurting me, you know, because he, I guess, you know, like the blows he was throwing, right? Like they were not that. But I embraced him, you know, and I made him calm down. And once he came down, right, like I basically, um, invited some other counselors from the school to come and be with him 
right? And give him some time to just kind of like de-escalate and to really come back to himself, right? And after, you know, that had happened, I went back in and I basically asked him, you know, like what had happened, like, and I asked him and, and I, I made sure to tell him that I was asking him those questions because I cared about him and that I knew that, you know, that uh, that was not representative of him, right? That behavior was not representative of who he was, you know, and so he broke down and he cried, you know, he couldn't stop crying. He cried for like about an hour, like nonstop. And that's when I learned his story. Uh, and apparently I had said a word that had triggered him, right? That so many people had told him and I can't remember what it was, but it was something very, you know, that I thought it was, right? Like it, it, it wasn't a big deal, right? But it triggered him, right? And so years later, right, um, his grandmother um, found me on Facebook uh, and we connected and then she was very proud to tell me that he had gotten into Santa Cruz uh, University and then he was going to be attending college and they wanted to personally thank me <laughs> for supporting because he he basically thought that after after that that I would dislike him, that I would ostracize him, that I wouldn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, everybody, you know, in the building thought he needs to be, you know, in a very traditional way, right? Like uh, he needs to either be expelled, you know, like that's, you know, that no matter. And I just said, I, let me work with him, you know, and I worked with him. I was the director of a tutoring center at the time. Um, and so I said, let me work with him personally. And so we kept going, you know, and talking about these things. We did a lot of art together. Um, I could see, right, like the way that he was using art, you know, to discharge a lot of his pent up, you know, emotions and anger, the stories he wrote, right, like little by little. I think that that, you know, definitely being heard, right, again, you know, in that non-judgmental and that way that is very dignifying and respectful and understanding that this is a child trying to cope with a big, tragic, catastrophic event, you know, in his life. Uh, he was doing the best that he could with, with the tools and uh, uh, I guess the learning that he had at, at his disposal at that time. And so, you know, so he just needed that, you know, that vote of confidence. And so I kept working with him throughout the year. And then he moved on to a different school. Um, and I kind of lost track of him, right? And as I said, they found me on, um, on Facebook. And uh, both him and the grandmother, you know, just wanted to uh, tell me that how much, you know, that year that we spent together had meant to him. I just think that, you know... And this is this is probably me being a little bit uh, simple, mm -hmm. simple-minded, mm -hmm. but I feel like all the time, you know, people can talk about learning objectives and kind of the strategy and some of the more organizational, you know, way of explaining programs. But at its most fundamental level, it's stories like that where you're like, we're meeting these kids who are coming from all sorts of backgrounds, 
all sorts of different places, all sorts of challenges. And we're just saying, I'm going to meet you where you're at. And I'm going to take time to show you that I care. And that, you know, certainly it's, it's absolutely important that the kid graduates and they do well in school. But that is just one of the natural positive byproducts that come from just having an impact in their life and showing them that there is a different way. Like, like you said, that their compass is broken, that they, they have all these positive things about them, that there is a different way to look at life. And I just think that that in its simplest form, like that's your program. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I would say this, right? Um, students, or I should say, well, we, we say students, but let's say children. Children want for people to get to know them. They already, they have so much, they, they have an, a very active inner world, right? And when, you know, people just simply place, when we place, let's say, when we as adults simply just place, you know, our set of expectations, right? The risk we run, if we really don't get to know them better or know them deeply, right, is that there's going to be a resistance to the expectations, right? Because, because who, basically the fundamental question is, who are you, right, to ask me to do all these things when you really haven't even taken the time to get to know me? What makes me tick? What makes me happy? What makes me upset, right? Like what makes me sad? Where I come from, right? And everybody has a story to tell, each and every child as a story to tell, right? A journey that they've been on prior to arriving to whatever school grade, you know, they are um, attending at a public school or a private school or whatever, right? So we don't neglect that piece because we understand that without um, self, a high, deep sense of self and self-esteem, right? Like the idea that I esteem myself and I regard myself as an important member, you know, of this uh, group or of this team or of this society, right? Like I have something to say, I have something to contribute, and children do, right? Um, the best uh, approaches to, you know, or the pe- the, the best uh, pedagogies, right? Um, always take for granted, right? That the student carries already a wealth of wisdom and knowledge already. So we go with that. Right? Like we basically know that there's a, there's something deep happening there, right? And sometimes when that is for A, B, or C reason, right, is being either um, is is being repressed or is you know there's hurdles that doesn't allow for the full child to come out, right? Like um, that's that's where the tension sometimes, right? There's a lot of tension that that creates between the expectation and then the child not feeling like anybody's taking the time to get to know me better. That's what creates self-esteem, and it will create that self-agency, self-efficacy, right, self-sufficiency, for then being able to meet the developmental expectations. Because it is true that there are some developmental expectations, right, that, they, they, that we look at and we kind of, you know, set out the track, right, like... Um, you know, and, and so so I think that uh, in order for us to equip them to meet those developmental expectations, 
we really have to also let them know that they matter, uh, that we want to hear their stories and their thoughts. One of the big things that we spend time on uh, at our agency and through our programs is that we want to hear their voice, right? So for us, you know, youth voice is a big thing. Like we really want to hear their voice, whether it is through poetry, through a mutual support group, and their one-on-one conversations, right, with the site coordinators, you know, with whom they work. But we really want for them to have an opportunity to speak with somebody, right, instead of being spoken at Mm. all the time. And I think that that is also a a shift in the dynamics, right? We lean in and we listen a lot. And then with what they tell us, then we kind of come up, right, with strategies Mm. Uh, because they're basically telling us, here's what I'd like to accomplish. I don't know how, right? Do you know how? Or if they are, if they're second guessing themselves, right? Then that's when the adult says, like, you're on the right path. Keep doing what you're doing, right? Like mm. you're doing great. Like I think that that's the the key, one of the key fundamental things, right? Is leaning in to listen to them uh and really listen you know with a loving compassionate you know take on what they're saying uh non-judgmental right practicing equanimity of the mind to just being able to say wow you know that that's that not in a condescending way to say wow that sounds hard or wow that sounds or that seems right but rather to state that is really hard that is really challenging Mm. that is when you say it like that right it definitely strikes me as that's that's really tough. That's a tough position to be in. And when they hear that, that's when they realize that they're validated. Mm. They're not going crazy, right? They're not, right? Because as, as we spoke earlier, right? Like there's this hormonal thing, right? Like this, this storm, you know, of estrogen and testosterone, right? That is flowing through, you know, pre-adolescence and through adolescence. And so... And then there's all of these other expectations from peers, right? From teachers, from their parents, from their community members, from their relatives. They are the center of a storm, Mm. (laughs) right? I feel like as a father of two, like I'm like, okay, how do I apply this to parenting? There's, it's just, it's it's really cool to like um, peel back some of the philosophy um, on specifically like, to get the student to you know want to grow and all that kind of stuff you have to first lay this foundation and you can't just skip over it mm-hmm. because then it just doesn't work mm-hmm. they're not going to feel heard they're not going to feel like you care and all that kind of stuff so it's really cool for me just to hear some of the philosophy and i i could apply a lot of that stuff to parenting there's things in there mm-hmm. you can apply to like your marriage or relationships and all that kind of stuff instead of saying well that sounds hard that's hard that's hard that you have to deal with that like i think that that is like a unique or that not uh that is a uniquely human thing that um is really useful. yeah yeah it's the compassion right i think yeah. that you know that there is compassionate talking right and there is also compassionate uh listening right because you know a lot of the times um, I and and I and believe me, I'm saying this because it's a practice, right? This is not something that you are born with. It's not a gift. This is something that you practice mm-hmm. and develop. It's like a muscle, right? Like 
it's like a boxer the more the more they the the, that you do it, the more agile you become, right? Mm -hmm. And the swift, right? Like the idea of being swift. So it's the same. So so essentially leaning in to listen and to listen with a way in which you're receiving something, right? And and sensing the suffering sometimes, right? That is going that, that they are going through without judging, oh, that's imaginary. That's an imaginary problem, right? Oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, you're like drowning in a glass of water, right? Like, mm -hmm. right? If I, if my mind is trained to be reactive, right? To be, to just, to put a label to everything and be like, oh, I know what that requires. I know what that needs. I know, I know who can help you. Like if, if I'm constantly doing that, I'm not really listening. Mm right listening in a compassionate way means that you get to hear whether it is joy or suffering or challenging moments that this person is going through mm. and it allows you to really hear their voice they they are revealing something deep to you mm. and you have to treat that with care right you have to it's a very intimate thing you know when somebody finally opens up right and tells you you know this is really what's happening with me, mm -hmm. right? And so we can, if we don't train our our mind, right? If we don't develop this uh, skill, also, right? Like we may be paralyzed the first time we hear somebody telling us something that is really genuinely traumatic, challenge, mm -hmm. you know, and catastrophic. Um, and that's why, you know, I also speak of, you know, self-compassion, right? Like you also have to figure out that one of the best practices that we have in our field, right, is the counselor has to have a counselor to go to mm -hmm. and be able to also, you know, unload some of this burden, right? Mm -hmm. You have, that's, that's where the respite and the self-care and, the, you know, the methodical way of receiving this constant right content you know of sometimes a very difficult and challenging situations you also have to have a system of support in place for yourself mm. that's what i mean when i said you can't provide someone what you don't have mm. right well this this has been a really interesting conversation and um I appreciate you for your passion and for your work that you guys are doing. And uh, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Neighbor to Neighbor, a community-driven conversation highlighting individuals and organizations making an impact in our community. Neighbor to Neighbor is produced by WeQ. Unless specifically stated otherwise, WeQ does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.